0: Um, but I want to start here, okay? There's a new, a new program, and I shouldn't say new because this is an old article, I think. Um, um, going back maybe quite a few years here. But there's a program at Walder Reed Medical Center. That's trying to help wounded warriors recover from the incredible losses they've experienced in war. Battlefield medicine has gotten better and better, but that also means that the people they're saving are increasingly injured. So some of these injured soldiers are finding healing through a community based on music. For instance, recently a band of wounded soldiers performed at Madison Square Garden in a concert called Stand Up For heroes. The vocalist for the band was Marine Corporal Tim Donnelly, who lost both of his legs and the use of his right arm in a roadside bomb in Afghanistan. Even though he can't walk, salute, or shake someone's hand, he's grateful to be part of a group where his singing voice is valued. His signature song has become Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. The lyrics of the song are hauntingly honest. They go like this. It's not a cry you can hear at night. It's not somebody who has seen the light. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. Donnelly told a reporter, I thought I understood that song, but the next thing you know, my whole life is coming down around my ears. Every dream, every hope I've ever had for the future is broken around me, and I don't know where to turn, and it was at that place that God said, do you still trust me? Do you still believe that I have what's best for you? And it was at that moment that I understood, hallelujah, I may be more whole now than I've ever been in my life. In that place of belonging, Donnelly and his friends are discovering wholeness in spite of their brokenness. And I need my clicker, I think it's by you guys, I put it over there last Sunday when I wasn't using it. But the abundant life, so today we're going to do we're going to do this morning is take three different kind of components, ingredients to put them together in this message and the first one is abundant life. We're going to talk about abundant life. We all want abundant life and then we're going to talk about um, the second aspect of this is this reality of trusting in God. Can I trust in God? The way these soldiers learn to trust in God despite their brokenness and then the third thing, uh, we're going to talk about the issue of servanthood which is one of the key ways that I can demonstrate my trust in God and and experience abundant life That's the reality. John chapter 10 and verse 10. And here's a verse that uh, I probably use this verse two or three times a year. Very key verse in the Bible. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And of course that would be Satan. And he came 6,000 years ago into the Garden of Eden, into the Garden of Abundance. And he stole from Adam and Eve. He stole their abundant life when he actually killed them. He comes to steal and kill and he killed them, spiritually killed them, eternally killed their abundant life they had. And uh, so it says that I came, Christ came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into the world and he came into the world to bring us abundant life, to help us discover the abundant life we lost when Satan stole it from us. And uh, so he came to fix basically what Satan destroyed. Now, this morning I want to talk about how we can experience this abundant life. The question for us is simple. How do I experience abundant life? Really, how do I do that? What does it look like? We can talk about it, we can read the verse, but simply, how do I how, how do I how do I experience it? Is it something I receive when I'm saved? I receive eternal life. Am I saved? Do I just re- receive abundant life and that's just the end of the story? What does it look like? to experience an abundant life? Do I have to position myself to experience the abundant life? I think we all wrestle with this reality. So here's the thing, look at it this way when we think about it. Um, Is the abundant life a feeling that is based on my behavior? Is that how we would look at abundant life? Maybe, well, it's a feeling. I know I'm experiencing abundant life because I feel a certain way, and I feel a certain way because I made the right choices and because I behaved the right way, Or is it something more? What would abundant life look like? Well, let's look at our our theme for this series of messages. We're talking about being Easter people, people of the resurrection. People of the resurrection, people that that live out the resurrection every day, not just one day a year, but every single day. I get up today is a day of resurrection. Today is a day of new life in Christ. And we've talked in this series about the fact that there is something in the in the cross to believe, something I believe, and there is something in the empty tomb to receive. Both those things are going on, and. I believe something, I receive something in the empty tomb, and that's the reality. And that is where our abundant life is found. It's found in the Christ life, it's found in what I receive when I am saved. And we could kind of say it like this as a short answer to getting to abundant life, is the more I live out my identity in Christ and live in the power of the resurrection, the more abundant my life will be. I have this identity in Christ. The more I live that out, the more I'll experience an abundant life. The more I live in the power of the resurrection within me, the more I will experience an abundant life. And so it's it's a little bit more than just my feelings based on my behaviors. It's based on my relationship with Christ, who I am in Christ, and how that is realized in my life every day. Here is today's big idea, okay? Abundant life. It's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. Abundant life is not about trying harder, like I want to have an abundant life and I just need to try harder. I need to work a little harder to have abundant life. Do a little more of the right things to have abundant life. No, it is about trusting more. You see, it is not my work that will resolve in abundant life. It is my trust that will lead to abundant life. When I trust that I am enough in Christ and Christ is enough in me, I'm on my way to abundant life. When I trust the identity in Christ within me and the power of the resurrection through me, that is when I will experience the abundant life. It's not about trying harder. It is about trusting more. Now here's the thing I want us to see today. We're going to look at the life of of Christ today and understand this, that Jesus not only brings abundant life, he best exemplified abundant life. We can go through the Bible and say, okay, Abraham lived an abundant life. I think we could say that. We could look at his life. You could go through David. You could go through different ones and say they experienced somewhat of an abundant life. Paul certainly did. We'll see that some today. But the most, the person in the Bible that best exemplifies a life of abundance is Jesus Christ Himself. He brings abundant life, but He best exemplified it as well. And we need to be aware of that. So go to Philippians chapter 2 today. We're going to be in Philippians 2, 8 verses, and then we're going to kind of use this as the, the springboard to see three truths, really three simple truths, about living and experiencing an abundant life. So here's what it says. Here's what Paul says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ In in serving our way to an abundant life, if we want to know the abundant life, and I know that we all do, I know that we all want to feel like we are, and sometimes we might feel like our life is abundant, other times maybe not so much. Three truths, here's the first truth, simply this, the abundant life serves the needs of others. By taking the form of a servant, Jesus took the form of a servant, came to the earth to be a servant, and that is really where the abundant life starts. Now there is some imagery here that I think we have to grasp. I think we struggle sometimes with this imagery that Jesus was a servant. It's really hard. And he came to serve the Father first and foremost, but he served you and me. And I think there's some imagery there to to see the God of the universe who created it all and to think that he is my servant. So a few reality checks here about this idea to start with. Number one, the most miserable people on the planet are those who only live for themselves. That's just the reality. Most miserable people are the people that are only living their life for themselves. And we live in a somewhat toxic age. We live in the age of Facebook and Instagram. And we, want, we, you know, we take all these photos and everything's about me and how many people like me and what I post. And, and we get uh, a lot, we, we fill ourselves up on that stuff. And, and we're so focused on self Who doesn't want to create a video today that goes viral, right? Wouldn't you love to have a video on YouTube that 2 million people clicked and liked and you'd feel like, wow, I'm pretty good. So much of our life is looking in the mirror back at ourself. The reality is, is that we are silently miserable when we're living a life solely focused on ourself. Now, and this is really true for us as Christians because remember, we're new creations in Christ and as new creations in Christ, we are what? We are created to what? To serve, created to do good works and God planned in advance these good works that when we were saved, we would just naturally walk in them. It's not even like I do these good works. I just live out my identity in Christ and these things just naturally come out of me. So if I'm locationally in Christ, as we've been talking about who has the identity of Christ, my default position, my natural position is simply just to do good works and to serve other people. And remember what we learned recently, that if I am locationally in Christ and I'm living in the flesh, what does that lead to? It leads to conflict. It leads to, I'll just be miserable. I'll be miserable, I'll be unhappy when my life is all about me. Romans chapter 12, here's Paul speaking, give it an admonition on this whole thing. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So Paul says, don't Don't estimate yourselves too highly. Don't think you're more important than you really are. Just understand that. Um, Maybe you've heard it said this way before. Don't think... um, Oh, I must have missed one here. Uh, Here's what it says. Don't think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. It's a great phrase. Don't think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. We're new creations in Christ. We're perfect. We're holy. We're righteous. There's nothing wrong with us but I need to think of myself less and think of others more and put the interests of others ahead of my own interests, as Paul says in Philippians 2, just to understand that simple reality. Now, here's the thing about the, the gospel and this idea. Um, think about Christ himself who came to earth to serve, and that's the imagery that we have a tough time with. His whole purpose in coming to earth was to come to earth to serve us we have to let him serve us and so there's this very real reality that that the gospel hinges on this fact that that it's all about Jesus serving us. We think about our salvation as it's me serving God. But first and foremost, before I can serve God, he has to serve me. It is about Christ serving me. Remember when Jesus, the night he was arrested, was in the upper room there with his disciples and they had that last meal and everything and he went around and washed their feet. And, And Peter, you know, being very, oh, very humble, you know, it's like, hey, you're not gonna wash my feet. And, uh, and, and God said, you don't understand. Jesus, you don't understand. I have to wash your feet. The crux of the gospel is I have to serve you and if you don't let me serve you, you'll never be made whole and right with God. And so Peter gave in and let Jesus wash his feet. The gospel is all about Jesus serving us and we have to let him serve us. Again, abundant life is not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. And I trust in Christ and I let him serve me first and foremost. I let him serve me. Humility and service, it is part of the DNA of God. When God serves us, that is God being who he is. That's Jesus being who he is. He is a servant. That's the reality. He is constantly serving us, renewing our mind, being our life. That's the reality. And I have to constantly trust in him. I have to constantly trust in him as he serves me and allow him to serve me. Now, why, why is it so important that I don't think of myself too highly and I don't think of myself too important? It's because it will limit my ability to serve other people. You will. You go to any job today, right, and there's a pecking order of importance. The longer you're at that job, the more seniority you have, what? The more important you are. And there there comes a time and a point, I see it all the time, you know what I'm talking about, where somebody up here is like, well, they're above the job down here. Well, no, that's for the guy that just gets hired. I'm too important. I know too much. I shouldn't have to do that job. And we should never take that attitude into our Christian life and say there is anybody that we are too important to serve. That's not the way it it works. That is not the way it works. There is nobody that we are too important to serve. To serve. In fact, the context here, if we look at what we just read in Romans 12, there's this context that God, or that Jesus is saying, Paul's telling us we need to see ourselves as part of a larger family and a greater body. I'm not even supposed to see myself as an individual. That's really a a weird concept. We're very individualistic today in in our Western society. But there's a a, a place where I need to always see myself as part of a body of Christ. And all the parts work together, and we serve each other. We need to serve each other. Romans chapter 12 again, later on, here's what Paul writes. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And you could read more of the context there, and you'll just see this idea that we are to work together in a body. I'm supposed to see myself, not as an individual, but I'm supposed to see myself as part of a greater body. In fact, here's another reality check. You want you want to know an abundant life? You got to know this next one. It's very key. You will never experience the abundant life living in isolation. You never will. You were designed, created for community. God made Adam and he said, "You know what, Adam, something's missing in Adam's life. He'll never know the abundant life until I create Eve and he has someone else and we need people today we need the body of christ today we need to serve and to be served now what's interesting here one other thing that's interesting here is we talk about this idea of service right and christ came to serve and we can talk about serving in the body but here's the reality who did jesus really come to serve he came to serve those who weren't even his own He came to serve those who rejected him. He came to serve those who were, uh, Paul would say, his enemies. There's this real sense there. Look at this in Mark chapter 10. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. And it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave." of all for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for for many so understand this reality here that christ came to serve not to be served but who did he come to serve he came to serve his enemies he came to serve Romans says those who hated him He loved us when we were were his enemies. He reached out to us when we were his enemies. There's a a great comment here. Uh, Evelyn Underhill in the School of, of Charity has this great quote. The real mark of spiritual triumph The possession of that more lovely, more abundant life which we discern in moments of deep prayer is not an abstraction from this world, but a return to it. A willing use of its condition as material for the expression of love. There is nothing high-minded about Christian holiness. It is most at home in the slum, the street, the hospital ward. Do you understand what, what what that person is saying there is that is that the true reality of service and, and, and serving and reaching out and expressing the full reality of who Christ is in me, it's not abstaining from this. It's not pulling back from a broken, sinful, dirty world. It's that the world is my ability to serve like Christ served. It's my ability to show the love of Christ the way that Christ loved it's by engaging this broken world there is nothing high minded about christian holiness it is most at home in the slum the street the hospital ward never think we're too important we're too holy to serve some people that's just not the case we're most holy when we can serve like christ did in a broken and hurting world and you go back to the disciples there and they're arguing about who will have the best seat in the in the house right the best seat in the kingdom you know who's going to have the best seat and Jesus said you have to understand that the first is last and you have to understand that I didn't come to serve but, but or to be served but I came to serve and he says in there but it shall not be so among you you see we live in a different economy if we're in Christ's family we're in, we're in you almost call it like a like a kingdom economy a different economy than this world God's economy it's so different We are not more important than others. We are slaves of all intended to serve, even to serve our enemies, even. So in short, you will never know the abundant life if you are just wrapped up in you. You were created for more, and the abundant life begins, truth number one, when I am willing, when I understand that the abundant life serves the needs of others, okay? missed a couple of slides there. I'm sorry. All right. Truth number two, the abundant life empties itself to be filled. The abundant life empties itself to be filled. Now, uh, that sounds like a very paradoxical statement to some degree. We empty ourselves to be filled. And uh, we're going to unpack this a little bit. And I'm going to show you the truth about this statement. And uh, there is a way that we normally would hear this statement and... um, And yet, that's not the correct way to hear it. He was in the form of God, but he emptied himself. Christ emptied himself. To be a servant, Christ had to come to earth, and he had to empty himself. He had to pour himself out. We empty ourselves to be filled. So, uh, it's uh, kind of like this. We need to understand, if you want to live the full life, if you want to live the full, abundant life, there is a sense where you have to understand this point of emptying yourselves out. Here's what what we mean by it. Let's start here, okay? Um, First, reality check. We are a new creation in Christ. We are perfect and holy. Saw just a meme yesterday that says, I need to empty myself, or we need to empty ourselves of us so we can be filled with Christ. That is faulty theology. That's not what this is saying. We are a new creation in Christ. I'm a brand new creation. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm holy, I'm perfect, I'm sinless. So when I say I need to empty myself to be filled, it's not that I have to empty myself of me. Uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, remember? Um, we say this very noble statement that that um, apart from... Uh, how is this? Um, we are inadequate apart from Christ. That's the statement we can make. Very true. I've probably said it a million times. We are inadequate apart from Christ. And yet the thing that I've realized lately... Yeah, but I'm never apart from Christ. I'm never apart from Christ, so I'm never inadequate. If I am in Christ, I am never inadequate. Need to remember that. So think about and how about this verse in Philippians 4:13, uh, if I put it on here or not, I didn't. Philippians 4:13, simple verse, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Who can do all things? I can do all things. Through Christ, who strengthens me. It doesn't say Christ can do all things in me. It says I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. There's a point. There's an emphasis here. We have to understand that we're okay. That we're a brand new creation. We are perfect and holy, and and God wants to use us. Think about the Trinity. I think this week about the Trinity. The Trinity are three distinct persons: God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're one God and they're three distinct persons. They're one and they're they're distinct. You and I are one with the Godhead. You can read John 17. We are one with the Godhead. We are one with each other. And we are all distinct, unique persons. And God wants to use your life, your abilities, your talents, your personality, your experiences, your brokenness, your pain. He wants to use all of that for His glory. And so it's not like I have to empty myself of all the... All the dirt in me and all the brokenness in me and all the ugliness in me, so God can use me. That's not it. That's not what it means to empty myself to be filled. Am I broken in some ways? Am I broken? Yes, we are perfectly broken and we are perfectly scarred. Think about that. I am broken. This world has broken me. We've been through all kinds of, of hard things in this world. We have scars from living in this world. And yet we're perfectly scarred because God takes our brokenness and God takes our scars and uses them for his glory. You think about this, um, uh, you think about Christ, right? Perfect and holy and beautiful. And for all of eternity, Christ will have what? He will have scars in his hands and a hole in his side. beautiful scars, beautiful scars that show the love that he had for you and I, for his church, for every single uh, uh, person. He died for the world. So understand this reality of being perfectly broken and being perfectly scarred. Here's what you have to understand. This is why I say this. Because if you want to live an abundant life, understand this. The abundant life... uh, Well, okay, I, I, I missed... Okay... I hope I uh, didn't miss this other point. Okay, let me go back because I don't think it's on my handout here. Here's what you have to understand. Um, Why this is so important is because to experience the abundant life, I have to be me. We have to be ourselves to experience the abundant life. That's the key. God made you who you are, gave you gifts, gave you abilities, gave you talent, and, and when I am me, And when I allow Christ and his identity to live through my unique personality, that's when I will really feel the abundant life. That is the reality of experiencing the abundant life. Now there's a clarification there. When I say we have to be me, I'm talking about my identity in Christ. I'm not talking about, you know, this thing, well, you know, I've got this sinful problem and, and i got the sin issue in my life, but that's just the way God made me, and so I'm just being me. No, I'm not talking about that. We're not talking about sin. We're talking about being who we are in Christ, the unique person Christ has designed us and made us to be. And it's in that context that I will experience the abundant life. The point here is that... Um, Okay, I must have jumped ahead. (laughs) i lost myself. Okay, the abundant life empties itself. He was helping me out back there and I didn't realize it. The abundant life empties itself, but it doesn't empty itself of self. That's, That's the point there that I'm getting at. And I need to be me. It requires me being who I am. We are filled to be emptied. So to understand this point, understand this. Let's say it this way. I am filled to be emptied. So there is something to receive in my salvation. I receive the identity in Christ. I receive the power of the resurrection. I am filled, but why am I filled? To be emptied, to like Christ, to go out and empty myself for the world around me, to pour myself out for the world around me. He, Jesus emptied himself to serve and so do I. I am filled to be emptied. I am redeemed to do good works. I find my purpose when I serve Others. That's the reality. Romans 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is poured into my hearts. The Holy Spirit has been given to me. What am I pouring out? When I pour myself out to be filled, I'm pouring out everything that God has poured into me. That's the reality. Now the greater question is what does this even look like? What, is this, what does it mean to say that I'm filled to be emptied. Well, here's a couple of examples, okay? Uh, We can understand this one probably very clearly from Sunday mornings. We empty ourselves vertically in worship and praise. We go through all week and all week long we encounter God and His presence and His power and His provision and His mercy and His grace and His wonder and His power and we experience all of that of God and it just fills us up and what do we do? We come on Sunday and we pour it out in praise, What's the song we sang last week that you know that you know it's your breath in our lungs that we pour out in praise. I empty myself. I empty myself and with everything that God has filled me with, I empty myself vertically in worship and In praise, listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. So, think about this: in in the first letter to the Corinthians, they had all kinds of issues, they had all kinds of problems, and uh, and. uh, Paul's working with them and in the second letter he's starting to get some encouragement that they're kind of getting their act together and they're growing spiritually and he says this, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. Here's Paul and he, he's going through the affliction and the persecution and the, and the adversity of the ministry and in the context of all that he looks at the Corinthians and he looks at their growth and he finds a, he's filled with comfort. When he looks at the growth, it makes it all worthwhile. And what, what does he do? I'm overflowing with joy. See, I'm filled up, and then I overflow with joy. I pour myself out in worship. I pour myself out in praise. But at the same time, here's the second thing. We empty ourselves horizontally in humble service to others. How do we empty ourselves? We empty ourselves by serving other people and I'm filled up with the love of God that's in my heart as the Holy Spirit's been given to me and then I go through my life and I just pour myself out in humble service to others and there is nobody that's too important to be served. And just think of Jesus. He didn't just come to die on the cross and serve for one you know, one night on a cross. He served for three years. He served for three years doing ministry, and I'm sure he probably served in the 30 years prior to that. Christ came. He emptied himself of that which was an advantage. He emptied himself of his divine privileges, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. He surrendered his rights in order to serve us. Here's what it tells us, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. tells us this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. He poured himself out. The, most, the, the, richest, the richest of the rich, the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, made himself poor for our sake. Besides Christ, the Apostle Paul again illustrates this as well as anyone in the Bible. So think about this. Think about that verse. I'm I'm filled with the love of Christ. It's poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit that's in me. And then here's what Paul writes. 2 Corinthians 5, For Christ's love compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them And was raised. Paul's filled with the love of God. And then it compels him. It grabs a hold of him. It motivates him to go out and serve the Lord. Yes, but to serve the world around him. How do we serve God? By serving the world around us. Jump over to 2 Corinthians again, verse 12. Down to chapter 12. Chapter 5, verse 12. Here for the third time, Paul writes, I am ready to come to you. I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. Note note there that Paul, when he was ministering to the Corinthians, is not looking for anything from them. He just wants them. Do you get that? I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but I seek you. I want you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If you love more, am I to be loved? If I love you more, am I to be loved less? And so here's Paul saying, you know what? I'm willing to just spend myself for you, to pour myself out for you. Why? Because he is filled with the love of Christ. The Holy Spirit's in him. It's our natural default position to go out and serve other people and pour ourselves out for other people. That's in our DNA because of our identity in Christ. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 2. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So it's not just about the gospel. It's not just about a bunch of words. It's about pouring himself into these people, giving himself fully to these people. So understand this, okay? So we empty ourselves vertically in worship. We empty ourselves horizontally in service. But how about this just briefly? How am I filled? So, so I'm filled to be emptied, and I know that we're, we're of course, filled. That's the empty tomb where we're filled. We have Christ in us. But, but how am I you know, continually filled? That idea of being filled on just a continual basis. Well, think about this. And uh, we kind of spoke to it already, but we are filled vertically as we worship. So here's the ironic thing. Think about this. We come on Sunday, right? We pour out our praise of all that God has done in us. And I don't know if it works for you, but it works for me, that, that as we sing these songs, I am filled up. I'm pouring out my praise. At the same time, I'm just kind of filled up with the wonder and the glory of God. It just does. It feeds my soul. And then we are filled horizontally. Of course, as we serve other people, there's something about being filled as I serve other people. That's what Christ is telling us. As we empty ourselves and serve others, it fills us up inside. But the reality is we are also filled when I let other people serve me sometimes this is a tough thing for us maybe it's a pride issue or a humility issue or a personality issue I don't know what it is some people have a tough time letting others serve them I think maybe sometimes I can tend to be that way I don't know why we you know it's like I'll just just do it myself you know I I don't need anybody to do anything for me but think about this if I find the abundant life in serving others when I let others serve me what am I doing? I'm helping them experience the abundant life. And that's the way it's supposed to work in the church, that we all serve one another, back and forth and forth and back. And that's the reality. This This imagery here is seen in, this, in the tale of two seas, and maybe you've heard this illustration or this observation before. Um, and, and I think I have a map here of this. Maybe you've heard this before. There's two seas in over in Jerusalem. There is the, uh, <clears throat> the Sea of Galilee. We know that all throughout the Bible. It's a, a sea that is teeming with life. Jesus did a lot of his ministry. He called his fishers of men uh, from the Sea of Galilee. It's where they threw their nets in, and the nets you know, were so full of fish, they couldn't even drag them in. Their nets broke. That's the Sea of Galilee, and then about 60 miles below that, it's down south, there is the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because there's no aquatic life in the Dead Sea. There's just nothing living there. Um, part of the reason for this, um, and here's just a couple of stats on this, um, the water's 25% makeup of salt, bromide, and other chemicals make life impossible. Now, so you have these two contrasted seas. Now, there's different theories as why the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea. But one of the obvious conclusions, one of the obvious things, if you look at that, can you see one of the obvious differences in the two seas? You've got the, at the top, up north, you've got the Sea of Galilee, and it's got this inlet, it takes it in, and then it releases through the Jordan River, and the Jordan River goes down to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea has this inlet, the Dead Sea takes all this in, and the Dead Sea does what? Doesn't give anything out. It's a Dead Sea. And there is a sense where, yeah, we were designed to, be filled and to be emptied and to be filled and to be emptied, and it's supposed to continue on cyclical, just like that. Our whole life, we're always giving, always being filled, always giving, always being filled. It's Christ being active in us. It's the identity of Christ and the power of the resurrection working through me, and it's not that I'm trying harder, it's that I'm trusting more. I'm just trusting in the process. I'm just trusting in who Christ is in me and what He wants to do in my life. There's a different map that kind of shows you. You just see down there the Dead Sea. It doesn't go anywhere. It just sits there. It's just a Dead Sea and the water evaporates out at best and that's the Dead Sea. So, the abundant life serves the needs of others. The abundant life empties itself to be filled. And here's the third truth then. The, empty, the abundant life sets its mind on the Spirit. And so each one of these takes us a little bit deeper because I need to serve, and in order to, to serve, I need to empty myself, and yet in order to empty myself, here's the secret, I need to set my mind on the Spirit. And we were here a couple of weeks ago talking about this very reality. It's how we battle sin in our life that i am here and i am perfect and i am holy but my problem is where i set my mind do i set my mind on the spirit do i set my mind in my natural default position towards my identity in christ or do i set my mind on the flesh do i set my mind on that old man thinking the way i the way of this world the the, the fleshly worldly strategies And coping mechanisms of this world. And so the reality is, this is how I will learn to empty myself and serve. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How did Jesus Christ empty himself? Well, he had a certain mindset. How did he go to the cross and be obedient to the Father and hang there and suffer? How did he serve us? He had the right mindset. That is the simple reality. The key to his ministry, his sacrifices, obedient, his service, the key to him living an abundant life was he had the right mindset. Philippians chapter 2, here's what it says. And just think about this selfish ambition is the mind that is set on the flesh. When you think about selfish ambition, the selfish ambition. Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And there's the contrast between the mind on the spirit and the mind on the flesh. The mind on the spirit seeks humility. The mind on the flesh seeks selfish ambition. If you're serving from selfish ambition, that's not really serving. That is self-serving. That's the reality. That's the reality. The abundant life sets its mind on the spirit, not on the flesh. You see, before we're saved, and when we think like this world, when we listen to the lies that Satan feeds to us in our spirit and in our life, and when we take that stuff in, Oh, then we think I gotta look out for myself, I gotta watch, I gotta be careful, I gotta defend myself, I gotta protect myself, I gotta you know, I I gotta be careful when it comes to serving others and emptying myself. That that's just not That's just not the case. And as I said, selfish ambition is self-serving. I love what Timothy Keller, pastor and author, writes. Pastors often hear, he says, I work my fingers to the bone in this church, and what thanks do I get? Keller writes, is that the way it is? Your service was for thanks? Are you in your right mind? Servanthood begins where gratitude and applause ends. Oh, that's pretty humbling. It's like, man, I never get thanks for what I do. It's like, well, why were you doing it? To get a thank you? So, here's the reality. If if I'm if I'm going to empty myself, if I'm going to serve those around me, I got to have my mind in the right place. My mind on the Spirit. Got really good news for you today. We have the mind of Christ and by the way, we have the heart of God. We have the heart of God. And I I stress this again because I just see this all the time. Uh, you just People just get this so confused. They just don't understand who they are, this new creation they are in Christ. For instance, we have the heart of God. We've talked about this two weeks ago. I know the Old Testament says our hearts are deceitful and wicked. And yeah, I know, we can't trust our hearts, the Old Testament says, Jeremiah says. But What is... What does the New Testament tell us? What does Paul tell us? What are we told? We are told we are a new creation in Christ. The old is passed away. I have a brand new heart. I have a heart that actually has God's desires. You understand what that means? That means, did you know that you really want to serve yourself or you really want to serve others? You really want to empty yourself. That's your default DNA position, your identity. You want to do that. You do because that's where you'll find abundant life. You want to do it. So why don't we do it more? because well, our mind is set on the old way of thinking that I, well I got to look out for myself I got to protect myself I got to stick up for my rights I got to defend myself I got to be very careful I don't empty myself too much for the wrong people I mean I, you know and that's not the thinking of Christ that's not thinking that's put on the spirit that's looking again at myself that's the thinking the selfish ambition thinking of the flesh David in the Old Testament it's it's fascinating you know, so in the Old Testament, it was not normal in the Old Testament to have the Spirit of God in you, permanently indwelling you all the time. But in the Old Testament, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. David had the heart of God. And we know why, if you study it out, it's because he had the Spirit of God. There was something unique about God, David, that God put his Spirit in David. And David had the heart of God because he had the Spirit of God. And I'm just telling you that if the Spirit of God is in you, if God has poured his love into your heart... Through the Holy Spirit that is in you, you don't have a dirty and deceitful heart. If Christ lives in your heart, he's not going to live in a dirty and deceitful, you can trust your heart. It is a renewed, beautiful, brand new heart that beats with the passions and the desires of God. And at the same time, we have the mind of Christ. So I can think, so I can think the things that God wants me to think. I have the heart of God that has God desires, and yet I also have the mind of Christ that can think God thoughts. I can put my mind on the Spirit, and thinking like the new man, thinking in the Spirit, will lead me to trust my heart, my spiritual impulses, and empty myself to serve. Here's one last verse. We have God desires, and we can think God thoughts. Think about that. Here's the, one last verse. Oh, I don't have it on the handout. 1 Corinthians 2. 14, the natural person who is in Adam does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person who is in Christ judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You have the ability to think like Jesus does, to think like Christ would. You have the ability to set your mind on the Spirit and to empty yourself and to serve and to trust God and to find abundant life. We have that ability. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? We have the heart of God and we have the mind of Christ. We can think God thoughts and we can have God thoughts desires. And the reality is I don't have to try harder. I have to trust more. I have to trust the fact that yes, I have a new heart with new desires. I have a new mind that can think God thoughts. I have to trust that God knows best how to experience the abundant life. I need to trust that yes, it is safe even fulfilling to empty myself in humble service of others. Let me leave you with this today. Here's a handful of quick statements, trust observations to wrap up this message. For instance, you can suffer and still experience abundant life. Read Philippians 4 today. Paul will tell you, you can suffer and still experience abundant life. And that's what Jesus shows us from the cross. Yes, in fact... You want to experience abundant life, it might take some suffering. In fact, at the same time, the abundant life is not necessarily the easy life. And I think that's where part of our problem comes in. We get to this point where we're like, we, we think that the, the abundant life is the easy life. The abundant life is the bank account is, is good and stocks are high and life, it, you know, life is smooth and there's no adversity and there's no, everything's great in life and, and that's the abundant life. No, it's not the abundant life. Because there's a ton of people in the world that have all of that stuff going for them and they don't have the abundant life. They're miserable. They're miserable. So the abundant life is not always the easy life and we experience abundant life in community, never in isolation. We were created for community. Trust the community God puts you in. Trust the people around you. Trust. And why do we oftentimes... Live isolated lives and not interact with people more because we're just a little bit not trustworthy of the people that God puts around us. Trust them, trust what they can do for you and how they can help you in your faith walk. And then finally, I'm not emptying myself of anything evil or undesirable. Remember, my old man, Romans 6, has been brought to nothing. I am dead to sin. All the ugliness, the old man, everything. God took care of that. He made me a brand new creation. So what am I emptying myself of? I'm emptying myself of Christ. I'm emptying myself of this brand new creation. So let me give you a great image, a picture of this. And I read an illustration, and uh, <clears throat> this week. But just think of a think of a hose, if you could, for a moment. And and you know, you get these hoses, right? You you hook them up to the wall, and and you and you got the squeeze thing on the end, and so you shoot the water where you want. It's kind of like we can decide. Okay, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. Uh, uh, um, Evan for a few minutes here you know and I give him a blast of the hose but, but I can always stop serving him when I want to I can always shut the hose off when I want to and so I get a blast here and a blast there and I have control over who I serve and how I serve and when I serve and because I can't I mean I certainly can't trust Christ in me right? I certainly can't trust Christ to just pour myself to, out to anyone indiscriminately I mean just, just empty myself to anybody so I got to be cautious who I serve right and yet, then you got another hose, you got a soaker hose, right? And a soaker hose has all those dozens of little holes all over, up and down the hose, and it lays on the ground, and the water just oozes out of that hose. And it just oozes out, and it just serves, and, and it just meets the needs and fills up and feeds anybody around it, because it's, it's just Christ coming out of it. It's just emptying itself out to be filled. And here's the picture of a hose that I think is so cool, that we should see as our, as, our, as our life in Christ, that we are filled to be, we are emptied to be filled and filled to be emptied, right? Is that you, you put that hose, right? You, you screw it on there and you go over and you turn the nozzle and what happens? The water just pours out of that and the water just pours into that and it just never stops because Christ is what? The living, the eternal water who fills us up, who never runs dry, who wants to serve the needs of the world. Can you trust that today? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your life. Thank you that you are enough. Thank you that we can trust you, that I can trust you in me, that I can trust what you want to do with me. Thank you that I have a brand new heart that has God-desires I can trust those desires. I don't have to be afraid. And then I have a brand new brain. I have a mind, the mind of Christ, that if I set my mind on the Spirit, if I think the thoughts of the Spirit, not the old man, but if I think your thoughts and trust your thoughts and trust your ways, trust your word, man, you can use me in amazing ways and I can pour myself out. And as I pour myself out, I am filled up with abundant life. In Jesus' name. Amen.